So there's two kind of basic ways of parenting when there's a lot of parenting experts and there's actually punishment is one way and discipline is the second way. Punishment is based on how do I control my child to make them turn out the way I want them to? How do I control? So do I use um, shaming, fear, intimidation? What do I do to control them? So it's really about the parent having control. So discipline is based on teaching and guiding your child. So how do I teach them? What disciple? Discipline comes from disciple. So how do I teach and guide? How do I influence my children? And they're going to actually turn out the way what's best for them. So we give much more freedom to kids in terms of making choices for their lives. Greetings, hello, good day, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for joining True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. If you're not familiar with True Hope Canada, we are a mind and body-based supplement company that is dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. For more information about us, you can easily visit truehopecanada.com. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. It's very, very helpful. Today, I welcome family happiness expert and parenting coach Cynthia Klein to the show. Today, I welcome family happiness expert and parenting coach Cynthia Klein to the show. Cynthia Klein's passion is to create world peace by creating peace within each family. As the author of Ally Parenting, she has created a unique formula for parents to transform conflict into cooperation. For more than 29 years, she has spoken in person at hundreds of schools and organizations, successfully coached parents of five to 25 year olds, and taught numerous online courses based on her highly effective Ally Parenting approach. She earned her child psychology degree at UC Berkeley, taught elementary school, and is certified in adult education. Today we're going to discuss some of the common challenges that parents have and how cultivating relationships in the family is absolutely essential. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello, Cynthia. Welcome to True Hope Cast. Really appreciate you coming on today and giving us your time. Um, how are you? It's great. Great to be here and lovely to meet you and get to know you better, Simon. Wonderful. Well, what? not as an intro just let us know who you are and what is it that you do so i'm cynthia klein and for the last 28 years i have worked with parents of five to 25 year olds who are they're not happy with the relationship that they're having right now with their kids like maybe they're not communicating well maybe they're the kids they feel like the kids aren't cooperating or they don't like how they're interacting. They don't like what's coming out of their mouth and what they're thinking, saying, and doing. And so I am an educator. I got my degree in child psychology. I went on to be a school teacher. So I am not a therapist. I am somebody who teaches specific skills on language and thought that will actually shift their relationship so they can achieve what they're hoping to achieve, and which is always a, a more connected relationship to their kids. Wonderful. Why the why that age group? Why five to twenty five? Well, I work a lot on language. So young kids, they aren't as capable to do the problem solving that I like to teach. Um, and then up to twenty five, it's because 
it's like they're still there. Might be, they might be in college, they might be at home, they might be a, away. There's still a real opportunity to make some shifts in relationships. I mean, it's more challenging when you've got someone who's 21, 22. If you have negative patterns, it's gone on, but it's still possible. And I wanted, I want parents to know that they don't have to just like, okay, I, you know, they're gone, they're out of the house, there's nothing I can do. But I want them to know that there is some changes that they can still make. They can still learn better communication skills. Yeah, I think that's very important because you know, as a as a child, you will have multiple different relationships with your with your parents, whether that's your mum or your dad or both of them as a unit. Um, obviously, as you grow up and you're a young child, and then you start, you know, you're a teenager, and then you're an adult, and then you start having your own kids. Like obviously, you change as an individual, and you, know, you go through multiple identities, and things change. So therefore, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your friends, your family, your partner, like everything's going to evolve and change so yeah i don't see why we can't always be looking to do some work and be aware of like how we are communicating with each other so yeah it makes sense that you would work with those older um the parents of older children as well i think that's obviously very important Mm -hmm. what um yes what do you what do you think has led us into a position where we actually need professional psychological support for parenting Obviously, that wasn't always available. Um, so what do you think? I mean, it's great that it is. It's wonderful that we've got so many different therapies available for so many different things. But what do you think has led us into the position that we require something like that? Um, so first of all, I when I work with parents, I make sure that they understand that I'm I'm a teacher. So I'm an educator. So there's no... Um, there's nothing wrong with them psychologically. So if there is, if they feel like they have their own issues, deep issues from when they were younger, they need to deal with, I pass those on to somebody else. Um, or I work a lot with couples. It, I don't have to, but primarily I work with couples. So two people together coming together <laughs> and they come in from different backgrounds um, and if they need marriage counseling, then I pass them on to somebody else. So I think since the beginning of time, I think parents have been trying to basically keep their children alive. Like that's been the fundamental concern. What do I do to keep them alive? Um, It wasn't at all based on what is the relationship like between me and my kids. That's a very new concept. Like thinking of how are they feeling how are they thinking? How do I connect with them? That is, you know, that's maybe 50, 60 years. So very new. So if you have a new goal you're trying to reach, then you need to do new strategies to reach that goal. So what comes up all the time is parents, a lot of parents I work with, they're really wanting to change the relationship with their kids. And they, um, old stuff comes up for them that they, how they were parented that they didn't like. Maybe shaming, blaming, shaming, blaming, humiliation, um, making kids feel bad to do better. Punishment has been a role model since the beginning of time. Okay. And that does not build a relationship. It might build one based on fear and intimidation and obedience But when parents are saying, I I want something more, right? I want my kids to talk to me when they have problems. 
How do I create a, an environment where they can do that? So then you can't take the old strategies. The old strategies got a certain result, but if you want a new result, you have to learn new skills. So that's why it's like nothing's wrong with parents. It's they're saying, I want a different outcome. So I need to learn new skills to get that outcome. It's very, it's very basic. And I, I really implore parents to not feel like they're a bad parent or they're supposed to know. You only know what you've learned. Right. There's there's no innately you you don't innately know how to listen. You don't in you know, you only know how you were raised. And so parents, I feel really need to let go of this guilt. Or like, if I love my child, uh, that's enough. Or I should know how to listen. Or uh, I really want parents to get rid of that. It's all skill-based because that's always what it was, right? It was always the, you know, the mother, father teaching the kids how to parent. And all of a sudden you're saying, you know what? I want a different outcome. So I have to go, I go to an expert, which is what I am on really... I can really hear from what they tell me what they're saying and doing. I can pick up on where they're um, creating um, a relationship that isn't going to turn out the way they want to. So an expert like myself can really hear that, hear the language, and then say, okay, let's shift your thinking. You're actually very adversarial. Let's shift your thinking towards your kids and let's change away from you feeling like a victim and let's have new language. And then you're going to get a different response from your kids. So it's education. That's all. Interesting. So, I mean, it's, it, it sounds like when you, when you're discussing, obviously you've got the experience with parents coming in and speaking with you that they do want something new. They do want something different rather than their past experiences, because I think maybe what we've got now is we've got, We've had generation after generation after generation of par parenting in a very particular way, quite discipline based. Um, and as you say, parents now want more because we can take care of the survival stuff of keeping those children alive a bit easier these days. It's obviously not for, not for everybody, but most people can provide food, can provide shelter, can provide warmth and protection. So yeah, that, that urging for something new and for something deeper. And I like to think that we, we as a society are getting slightly better at being open to being vulnerable and being open to our emotions a little bit better and being able to communicate mm -hmm. how that's actually working. I feel that there's, you know, there's obviously a whole genre of books and individuals out there who are doing a lot of that work. And when those individuals get to a certain age where they become aware of maybe their past patterns aren't serving them in the best possible way and they want to do some self-work to develop themselves i think that's wonderful and to have those outlets available for people is great so going back in like that but going back in those generations in those histories what do you think the um what's the source of this like really like discipline-based punishment type of parenting where does this kind of like come from because we're, we're right. clearly breaking through it right now Right. So um, let me uh, clarify language and definition of words so that people know, you know, people who are listening know how I'm talking about it. So there's um, two kind of basic ways of parenting when there's a lot of parenting experts 
And there's actually punishment is one way and discipline is the second way. Okay. So it's two different avenues, two ways of thinking. So punishment is based on how do I control my child to make them turn out the way I want them to? How do I control? So do I use um, shaming, fear, intimidation? What do I do to control them? So it's really about the parent having control. So discipline is based on teaching and guiding your child. So how do I teach them? What disciple? Discipline comes from disciple. So how do I teach and guide? How do I influence my children? And they're going to actually turn out the way what's best for them. So we give much more freedom to kids in terms of making choices for their lives than we do with punishment. Punishment is parents are the boss. They know what's best and they're going to use whatever means they they want to to try to get the outcome they want for their child but it's discipline it's a different mindset so when you were talking about this whole thing like from the 50s 60s the psychology the introspection like that's think of how long human beings have been here and how new that is like that's really new to be self-reflecting I mean, you see all these movies and plays of the olden times. They weren't sitting around and self-reflecting. You know, so now parents are thinking, okay, um, what can I do differently to get a different result from my child? But what's happening, there's this huge conflict because the old punishment style keeps coming up because that's what's been around for so long. And that's where parents go when they're upset and angry. They resort to, all right, if you don't do this right now, then, you know, that's that's a punishment, right? If you don't, that's like a threat. Um, they resort to that because that's because kind of like a lower life condition is coming out from anger and, and control. And they are like, I don't want to do that. You know, however, what's happening is to learn how to set guidelines and rules, which you have to do in a way that isn't shaming is very difficult for parents to learn. Like, uh, uh, for example, an after then approach, which is the work before play. So one of my favorites, like my daughter, who's now um, a young woman, Mary, is the only way I'd get her to do that, like, let's say clean the bathroom. Let's say she wanted to go to a friend's house. She's a teenager. And I would think, okay, what hasn't she done yet? <laughs> okay, so at the moment, she's wanting... To, to, to go, I'd say, oh, oh, she hasn't cleaned the bathroom. After you clean the bathroom, then you can go. Of course, she'd complain. Wait, wait a minute. All my friends are getting together now. Why, you know, why didn't you tell me sooner? So as a disciplinarian, I ignore all of that stuff because she's trying to engage me into an argument. A parent in a punishment mindset would defend themselves and they would stay engaged. Instead, I just say, um, after the bathroom, then you can go. But you should have told me sooner. You know, again, another argument. Bathroom first. And it always worked. Like, so you see how I'm I'm not getting engaged with making her feel bad. You know, I what could I have said? Right? What would have been a great thing to say to make her feel bad? If Are you want an, if you, you want an example, yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you yeah, if you yeah, if you if you don't do the bathroom, you're not gonna go. 
And then also, if you had done it sooner, like, don't blame me. It's not my fault you didn't do it. If you had done it earlier, then you can go off with your friends. See, so parents get into all this garbage that hurts the relationship. It really hurts it and there's no need for it. So that's one of the big things I teach parents. How do we, when you're having to set a guideline, you, you get rid of all that shaming stuff. You just stick to the point. And you know what? It is amazing how it works. So I wrote this so up, this story, this particular one. Yeah. It's, and so that's, that's the thing. You don't, it's the judgment. There's so much judgment goes on. You're not good enough. You should have. Oh, I really work with parents. I'm getting rid of the you should. You should. You need to. I want you to. Why didn't you? All of that hurts relationships. So when parents learn about that, like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I can work on not saying these few words to start out and 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 I'm going to get a different response. Like, isn't that simple, Simon? I mean, isn't like, oh, OK, OK, I'm not going to say if you don't, I'm not going to say, why didn't you? <laughs> I'm not going to say how many times do I have to tell you? And instead, I'm going to replace it with a few simple things. So that's what I love doing is like parents are like, oh, my gosh, it's not it's not like I'm an awful parent. It's just that I don't have the skills. That's all. I get excited. Yeah, about I, <laughs> yeah no, I, I understand the use of language is, is, is beautiful and it can be implemented in such a powerful way to build bridges and. Yeah, I have a lot of sympathy, especially for parents who have got like the young kids, you know, like the one, two, three, fours, and they've basically been tired and sleep deprived for, you know, a few years and being able to have the um, ability to communicate without that emotional aspect and immediately going to those should haves and you must do's and stuff like that. I, I, I totally understand. You know, I've got my own personal experience with that. It's very difficult to do, but it's amazing that um, parents who come and see you finally have the um, awareness and the ability and the, and the time to start thinking in a different way. And they've obviously always had those, the, the, they've always had the potential to understand your practice and your theory, right? But being able to, to, to put it into practice is not so easy, but being able to work with you and learn and, and have those skill sets is, is just wonderful. I've got a question on, what do your the majority of the people who the majority of the parents who come and see you what's their main goal i'm sure they've got a lot of like you know they come in and you have this initial conversation and they tell you the whole story but like i suppose it comes down there's there's one big reason why they've made this appointment with you and what are the more common reasons um they're arguing with their kids too much is a big reason and they feel really bad about it my kid argues about everything you know i i say could you please help me unload the dishwasher and they just argue it or i i say it's time to get off the the tablet and they argue with me um so that 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 sense of wanting to set limits um that are followed seems to be the most the most urgent they come in for. And then the secondary thing is 
They really want to have a better relationship. They really want to feel better with their kids. They want their kids to tell them more about their life and their problems. They want to have a teenager when they leave the house or young adult that's going to actually want to still see them and will call them and share and, and ask for support. That's, yeah, I think that's, that's like that. And that wasn't there, dream. you know, that wasn't there. Isn't that beautiful? It's like, okay. And, and so the thing is the two work hand in hand. It's like learning the language. So you're not hurting the relationship. So you're not using shaming, blaming, humiliation. So learning how to set directives where you're not hurting it. Then I teach how to listen and respond when you're either doing collaborative problem solving or it's the child's problem to solve how you do that. And when they're teenagers, how you manage the frustration you feel inside when they're doing stuff that you're going, oh my God, what are they doing? So learning how to have unconditional love is a tough thing I try to teach as well. Does how how much does happiness come into it? You know, like I think obviously a lot of parents, they just want to be, they want to be happy with themselves. They want their kids to be happy and they also want the communication and relationship to be happy as well. Like, that's a lot of layers there. Like there's a lot of individuals that need to do, need to do some, do some work. So it's like, yeah, like how, how does happiness come into all of this? I think one of the things that's important to realize is that problems lead to happiness. That having challenges and knowing how to overcome them and getting the support to get through hard feelings and difficulties, that that is really happiness. That ability to do that, that's what builds this solid foundation of Okay, I come on life because life is full of problems. I can handle it. I've got my parents to support me. I mean, you think I think about those um, people who are well-known professional athletes or whatever. Almost always, they always say, my parent, I had a parent and adult who really supported me, don't they? Like when you think about it, they're, they don't say, oh, I did it on their my own. And so I think that's... To me, for my life, it's like it happiness isn't like, oh, having fun. So if parents think that I need to please my child to make them happy, I want to help them shift that. That's not, I mean, that's um, very um, transitory happiness, right? It just comes and goes if you get something. But to fundamentally build a relationship where you feel um, at home, I'm loved and I'm respected. Like, you know, I, this is a safe place for me. To me, that, you know, that's happiness. And then you, because when you have that foundation, then you can go out and enjoy, you know, things, fleeting things that make a person happy. So I really want to help parents know how to build that bond. I worked very hard at it. And I have that with my daughter because uh, that was my big mission was like, you know, I want to know how to be a parent and she had some major challenges happen to her how can i be a parent that she 
feels can come to her. And so I've had many cards she wrote me as she was growing up saying, thank you for being there during the mountains and valleys, during the hard times and the easy times. That's that's what I treasure. Those are the cards I keep from my daughter. I was there for her. So I don't know, to me, that's great happiness. Like somebody, you know, I'm helping somebody else and I know I have the skills to know how to do that, especially with my daughter and my husband. We've been married for yeah. a long time. And that's not just an incredible achievement for you, but you're obviously passing on wisdom and a skill set to another human being who is going to um, be a certain way in the world and, and, and pass, pass that on. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And we yeah. talk, she knows about like I communication blocks is one of the things I teach and she knows all about those. And so she's, she, you know, wants us, to, they move recently and she wants us to move down there to be near her. So that's a, that's a high achievement, right? Wow. <laughs> that's yeah. The plan. I'm moving, you know, come on mom. <laughs> yeah. It's usually the opposite of that. So you've done something right. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked, I've worked. And so here's the thing is my mother didn't know how to listen or support. I mean, she was born in the twenties, so she didn't know. And I can remember as a teenager, um, I was on bed crying because I had another fight with her. And I can remember hearing her out in the kitchen talking to my dad as though nothing had happened. Like I was devastated and she acted as though it didn't matter because that was her whole upbringing. And I was like determined, like, I don't want that. You know, if I have a teenage daughter, I want something different. And so everything I teach parents, I had to learn. It wasn't like, oh, I had this great mother who knew how to do this and I learned it. It's like uh, the, everything I teach, I teach parents what I had to change myself. Like I really had to do a lot of deep change of my thoughts, um, learn new language, learn a whole new skill set. So that's why I feel very confident that when people are determined, I want to change. I'm going to take responsibility for changing the relationship with my child. I'm not going to say they need to change first because when you change, they change that I can teach them because I learned it. And, you know, there's no reason anybody else can't. It's not easy. And, you know, you have to change patterns. You have to keep your mouth shut at times when you want to say things. However, I've worked with so many parents, hundreds of parents who just are like, feel so much happier when they change and they feel you know better about what's coming out of their mouth, right? <laughs> Rather than this negativity. Certainly. Let's talk about those communication blocks because they, they, they're probably, <clears throat> excuse me, they're probably some of the key setbacks um, that you know hold families back and they probably creep up without a lot of parents really knowing that they're they're putting up these massive barricades between themselves and their kids so can you talk a little bit more about um about that please yeah and um my daughter encouraged me to watch this movie called ladybird because it's about a teenage girl and her mother and so if anyone wants to see in play communication blocks, <laughs> you watch the movie Lady Bird. Because um, as I was, I was just watching it yesterday, as I was watching it, I was like cringing because what, what, when a person is, our kids or anyone is expressing some thoughts like, you know, I, I, let's say you have a teenager and they're saying, you know, I'm not sure where I, you know, where I should go to school, or I don't know what I should study. So especially when a person has brought out something or a friend saying, you know, I'm having this 
problem with um, this person I work with or a child saying, I can't can't do this homework. It's too hard. If it's, so if it's something that somebody's expressing, that's uh, usually it's done when they're the challenge. And so how we respond determines whether they keep talking or whether they shut down. And the gift that we can give a person, I think, is when we support a person with a sense of confidence in their brain, that they, they, they can kind of figure things out, when we listen in a way that makes them feel that safe and secure, then what happens is they can, their prefrontal cortex, the reasoning part of their brain, can gradually engage more. Let's say they're upset and they get upset. Oh, I can't do this. This is too hard. Or my boss is awful. Or, you know, I just don't know what to do. Is when you listen in a way that allows them to keep expressing those emotions from the limbic system, then gradually they'll be able to engage their thinking part of their brain, the prefrontal cortex. So that's the important uh, part of the blocks is we have to let the emotions out first. The emotional part of the brain has to be expressed because as long as we're emotional state, we can't think, right? I mean, and everybody knows that, right? When you're upset, you, you, you know, and you make decisions, it's not the best decision. So the idea of a communication block is, or not blocking, is to, is to think, how do I respond to my child so they will keep talking versus how am I responding now that would make them stop talking? So um, child says, okay, I don't know. I don't know where to go to school. I don't know what to study. And the parent says, well, you know, you're really good at math. I think you should do that. So that is all of a sudden the parent giving advice, which is one of the communication blocks, unwanted advice. So the, the teenager is like, like, okay, well, you, you know what's best. You're, you know, how can, how can they talk anymore? Because they feel shut down and they feel hurt because you're acting as though you know more about their life than they know. And the parent thinks they're helping, right? Like that's the intent often is we think we're helping, but in that case, it shut them down from talking. Even let's say, and I love talking about it with adults because it, it deals with adults as well. So your friend says, you know, I, I just can't stand my boss. You know, they're just, they're just so difficult to work with. And let's say you say, yeah, you know, you've said that before and, and maybe you don't want to work there anymore. You know, maybe you really need to be in a better job than that. So this again is kind of, it's like, I know more what you should do than you know. And how would that make you feel if I said that to you, Simon, if I just started telling you what you should do? Yeah, it's quite an invasive proposition because obviously there's so much that goes into that whole situation that I'm experiencing. There's a psychological element, there's an emotional element, you know, it's 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 very, very deep and I'm experiencing it all with my senses all of the time and then to have a very quick callous response like that would be you know it's not are you really listening to me it's like what's going on here yeah yeah and i'm not being helpful so what would be helpful if i respond in ways to allow you to keep talking 
so that you can get those big feelings out. And then you can come up with your decisions. So this is very clearly, I need to be a supporter. And so it'd be better response if I was like, oh, wow. Wow, that's hard. (laughs) That's it. Simple, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's it's there's other things like asking questions that feel like interrogation is another way of shutting kids down like even kids coming home from school and the parent says how was school that can feel like an interrogation even the kid says hi hi dad hi mom oh how was school fine and i get parents who say this my kid won't talk to me about school The reason probably is the underlying message of a question can feel like you've done something wrong or whatever you're going to say, I'm going to tell you it needs to be different. or I'm going to start asking more questions. So fundamentally, a question becomes an interrogation. And so kid doesn't want to talk because that's a big thing that I get from parents. My kid won't talk to me. Well, it's like, okay, let's look at how do you what do you say when they do tell you? Right. Um, So when I started learning about this, I first learned about this. My very first parenting education training program I had from a man named Michael Popkin. And I used several of his his viewpoints in my book. And he said, fine, you can do that. And it was so exciting to think of, oh, so um, another thing not to say when somebody is expressing their own challenges is to talk about myself. A me tooism is a very common thing for parents to do. It's like the child says, you know, this, this, uh, I'm just not very good at English. This is awful. And the parent says, you know, I really struggled when I was your age with English. Now that may or may not be a block. So if the child, if the parent says, I really struggle too, and the child says, you did what happened, then it's not a block. You see how that child is still kind of trying to express. If the child says, it's different now, you don't know what you're talking about, leave me alone. (laughs) Then that has become a block. Yeah. So let me tell one more. Yeah. Okay, nice. Sorry, please carry on. So let me just talk about, yeah, placating is a big one. So sometimes there's parents who like to be, tell kids what to do. I know best and I'm going to give you advice and that shuts them down. And then you have uh, other parents who are like, want to make their child feel better, which is called placating. So if the child says, you know, I'm not getting along with... Nikki, you know, she's not calling me at all. She's not texting me and uh, I don't know what to do. And then the, let's say it's to the mom, mom says, oh, goody, you know, you know, um, you know, honey, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You, you're just such a wonderful girl. You've got other friends. So mom's intention was to make her feel better because I don't want to see my baby, you know, struggling, but the girl is left there going, right? Like what, what, what my feet, I'm not listened to. You're not listening to me. What about my friend, Nikki? You know, they feel really deflated. And that's another way of doing, of a communication block. 
Well, yeah, some really strong examples there. That's for sure. Yeah, how, just how we uh, how we speak and how we hold our body language when we're speaking with anyone. To be honest, it, it's very very can be very very powerful. It can also be very very damning to to the relationship as well. I know I've become a better husband because I I listen a lot better. And you know, I if if say one of my buddies who I grew up with is having a conversation with me and asking my advice or venting or whatever, my approach would be very, very different with, with my wife. You know, we, we, when we're aware and we learn and we, you know, we can know how different people communicate and we, you know, we're um, sensitive to that, but there's certainly skills along the way that we should be, should be developing, especially as we, you know, you, you've got a partner of a certain amount of years and you have kids and just so many different things come into it. Um, how how do parents how, when is it like when do we know when to listen when to tell when to collaborate and when to give like freedom of choice i mean this that's a that's an interesting question in regards to yeah when, when do we use which skill right and and i think that it's a fluid thing and i mean i certainly kept learning and sometimes i made mistakes and so and just so parents to know that there's no cut and dry but so i think of it as there's three different roles that parents do one is going to be like you mentioned that giving directions when do you do what i call a director role and then the other is when do you collaborate when do you come up with decisions together and the third role is when do you support when do you let your child make the final decision and it's very important to understand director collaborator and supporter so that you have the right role now your kids might not always agree with the role <laughs> that you've chosen um so you uh, but for example, a director. A director is when you, like I shared the after then um, strategy is a director role strategy. You know, I wasn't letting my daughter choose. At one point we discussed that she was going to clean the bathroom. That had already been discussed. But at that moment, I wasn't going to let her decide whether to do the bathroom or not. I pulled up a director role strategy. Right now, some parents, if the kid says, oh, I'll do it later and you get fooled <laughs> and you say, oh, OK, parents get fooled by that all the time. You just that was an incorrect. Then you were letting your child decide when it was going to happen. And you know what? It isn't going to happen. So that's a time you need to say, no, you know, this is my job as a parent they need to do chores. I'm a real big thing on chores. You don't do tons of them, but every kid needs to contribute to the household. And you have to you have to pull it up and say, oh, well, this needs to be done. You can do the after then, or it's time to do the bathroom. Um, and to know that their angst, their frustration, that they can handle it. Like be really careful to not be fooled and give them power. So anyways, uh, such as emptying the dishwasher, you know, getting off the internet, things that they don't want, that you want because it's a rule, a guideline, safety things, then you need to be a director. And you really, you, it, when you can do it where you're not shaming the kid, you're not making them feel bad, then they can hear it and they can handle it. So it's 
it's time to put the laundry away. But I want to watch this show right now. It's time for the laundry. But after the laundry, then you can watch the show. And then you might even stick an empathy statement. Well, you really love that show. Don't say, I know. I Usually that doesn't work. I know you really, no, don't say that. It's not about you. Just, yeah, you really love that show, period. Don't say, but. Please do not say you really love that show, but you have to do the laundry because then it, it it's not, then it, it, it takes away from your empathetic statement. Huh, yeah, oh, that, it's a great show. After you do the laundry, you can watch it. So I want parents to have confidence when they state it, and you can even smile, you know, like this is it. Then your kids will respect you more and they'll respond more and they'll cooperate more. Okay, so that's the director role. And it's like bucket up, parent, you gotta do it. <laughs> right? It sounds but it sounds just um, like you're not stepping into the emotional arena in that type of situation. Obviously, like a 13-year-old who's like watching the show and doesn't doesn't want to do the dishwasher, there's gonna be some emotions that come up for that. That's absolutely normal, it's okay very natural but um yeah as the parent as the director you know you're not stepping into that emotional arena because no one wins in that situation like if you're just going to throw emotion at emotion it's just going to be a cluster and and you know they're trying to get what they want in their life so okay so and you are helping guide them on this path so that they are learning certain skills for life right? Kids have to learn how to contribute to the household. They're in a dorm room. They have to have learned already that they pick up their things. That's a skill. It's a skill as important as schoolwork. I'm sorry. How do you contribute to the family? Um, so when the kid's mad at you, you know, you're, you just, you have to be mindful that you might get triggered, triggered like my kid needs to listen to me. Why are they so disrespectful? It's important I help parents realize what are they thinking that will help, will make them get triggered. So if you realize that and then you say, no, I'm not going there. I'm just, okay, my kid's doing their thing to get their needs met. I'm just staying the course, being clear. One dad had these two teenage boys and they were, he had a really hard time getting them to do what they're supposed to do with the chores. And he did the after then. And he was telling me he had to do it like, five times like he had to each time he had to repeat it fewer and fewer words and the teenage boys finally said oh all right and they did it like like they knew dad had won because <laughs> dad stayed the course up oh, i don't remember what the chore was and he didn't falter and the kids gave in so the kids need to feel your strength it's I call it soft power. It's not hard. It's not harsh. It's not mean. It's not yelling. Yelling is not um, a very effective means to uh, get kids to cooperate. Okay, so collaborate. Um, I encourage parents to have collaborative discussions, such with things that impact everybody, such as chores that impacts everybody in the household. Right? If the dishes aren't done, what do you eat off? Of? If the groceries aren't Got, gotten at the store if they are all of those things that there should be a collaborative discussion and you start out with okay guys this impacts everybody 
Let's get together. Let's talk about what are all the things that need to be done. And then let's divide them up. Um, <clears throat> so once you do that, this makes it sound easy. I have a whole, I have several chapters in my book about collaborative problem solving. Once you do the problem solving, then chances are you have to be a director to make sure they follow through. So for example, I gave the example of my daughter cleaning the bathroom. That was one of the chores she was doing. It doesn't mean <laughs> that on her own, she's going to do it. So I think parents get upset. They say, we made this chore chart and now you're not doing it. <laughs> you said you were going to do it. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, Simon? Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. So I encourage parents once you, okay, you post the, the chore chart and then know they still don't want to do it, but you've done the collaborative problem solving and you're still going to probably need to do a director role strategy. That's just how it is. And, and don't get angry about it. Like that's your job. I'm sorry. You're the parent. <laughs> that's your job. That's, that's why you had kids too, is to help them become responsible, not by trying to make them feel responsible, but by you setting up expectations and not backing down and not getting mad by them doing it over and over again, then they'll develop that sense of that this is their responsibility. It might not happen until late teenage years. So I think parents get these expectations they get mad at their kids. Um, and then the third one, I know we need to wrap this up probably, is the supporter role. Like if it's their problem to solve, like a friendship issue, um, then you can say, you know, honey, this, like the thing my friend's not texting me or not calling me. Wow, this sounds like a real challenge. You know, you'll make the decision what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I can be here for you. We can just kind of throw around ideas or I can just listen. And and I'll, But it's going to be up to you to decide. Because kids need to hear that because I'm most, most of the parents I work with have taken over their kids' problems. Like they jumped in as the director, like I need to fix it. I can't see my kids suffering. So what happens, then the kid stops talking to them because if I if they open up, dad, mom's going to tell me what to do. So I don't want to talk to him. So if you're trying to make a change and become more of a supporter, it's important to say to your kids, you know, I think I did this in the past. I was always telling you what to do. Is Is that what I did? Yeah. 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 I I'm, I'm really working on not doing that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's all, I mean, if you have the perspective as a parent that you are essentially training your children for the real world, because you're not always going to be there to be their director. They, you know, you're teaching them to become their own director. I think if you have that perspective, then it is a lot easier to not step into that emotional battleground and then stay in this, this prefrontal, you know, cortex of analytical thinking and kind of staying in the moment and, you know, keeping your role and, you know, by you keeping your role, you're serving your child a lot better. I think, yeah, having that perspective as a parent would be a lot, a lot easier if you're able to just hold that thought in your mind whilst you're, you know, engaging with your kids. And you mentioned about like, you know, sitting around and discussing the chores and, you know, 
collaborating with the family that kind of comes into the benefits of like having consistent family meetings and what kind of age would you do that with a child um so you can have family meetings starting around age four or five when they're pretty young and what's important a family meeting there's a it's helpful to have a certain structure and that you make sure that you start out with compliments of each other like start out with something really positive. It's not like, okay, we need to have a family meeting to talk about something <laughs> where I'm upset with you about. It, it's better to have it like, we're, this is an opportunity for everyone to bring up their issues, to talk about it. But let's start out with, what do you want to thank somebody in the family about? Or what do you appreciate? So you want it to be, you're coming together as an opportunity to share. And then also um, I encourage people people to have a piece, actual piece of paper where people can write down what they want to talk about during the week. So for kids like, you know, I, I think I should stay up till 930. It isn't fair, you know, that kind of an issue. And you want to discuss that. You can say, hey, put it on. That might be something you want to talk about as the whole family. If there's a conflict about that, it's up to you to decide whether you want to or not. You can say, hey, why don't you put it on the chart? And the, the list of things to talk about. Maybe we can talk about that next week. So it gives them an opportunity to know, okay, there's an issue I have and there's a forum where I can talk about it. And then you also want to talk about something nice during the family meeting. Like maybe you're, you know, you've got the afternoon. What are we going to do on vacation? What are we going to do together or something nice? And then end up with something nice, a treat or a game. So it, it, it takes, it, helps bring everybody together so that you're not, because otherwise I'm going to tell you, you know, parents and everybody's so busy, like nobody has time. But if you, let's say you said 45 minutes every week. Now with little kids, you might only start out with 20 minutes. That might be as long as a five-year-old could handle it. By the time they're teenagers, you know, um, 40 minutes, 45 minutes to be okay. And we did it for many years with my daughter. So we have one daughter and it was always hard for her. It was like, ah, I'm the only kid. But we have all the notes we took. So you keep notes about what was planned. We have notes about what, like she at one point she was going to, she wanted a basketball hoop. And so she called up stores. This is before you had the internet. <laughs> she called up stores to find out how much they cost and when they're going to be on sale. So because of this, this desire she had, we didn't jump in and fix it. She took responsibility to find out things. And, and that builds a kid's sense of um, maturity when they take over responsibility for things. So doing that in a family meeting is really, really helpful. Or maybe you want to go somewhere and you say, hey, how about, okay, why don't you, Bobby, why don't you check out some of the hotels if they're old enough to do that, right? And bring it back the next meeting what would that cost? Let's look at what our budget is. So that's where kids start to feel responsible and good about themselves when they're actually contributing to the family. That's really cool. I think I think um, starting starting with something positive about the family that's very very interesting. And bringing notes from the week that's amazing, and then finishing up the the evening with like a, a a game or a movie night or something that you've you know doing together and then you end up having like an hour a couple of hours of, of you just all together which is just you know 
an, an old-fashioned idea of, of, of family time, I suppose. <laughs> Isn't Weird. it? And, and one, one to come together. And allowance. I encourage that your kids to have weekly allowance to learn how to manage money. So that's another thing that we always talked about. What was the money going to be used for? What was, you know, was she going to spend it on a movie? So that way, when, if she knew her money was used for movies, then she never asked me for money for a movie. If she wanted to go, she didn't have the money, she didn't go. So I never was nagged for money for things because I helped her become empowered for a certain amount of money and for her to learn how to budget it. So allowance is another important thing to be included um, in the family meetings to talk about that, the money, what the money is going to be used for. Yeah, certainly a very, very important part of the, of the family dynamic and learning the value of it and learning that you can, even from a young age, you can create your own wealth. I know I think that's an incredibly powerful thing to, to, to teach a child from a young age, you know, what, what, what they can possibly do with that information that they know that they can use their, you know, mind and their physical body to actually create money. And then as they get older and their skill sets increase and, you know, everything else, it's, yeah, it's just a massive, massively powerful tool to, to teach children. So, yeah, I think that's also a very amazing thing. Um, we're going to have to finish up there now, Cynthia. So can you let people know how they can connect with you, please? Yeah, I think going to, going to allyparenting.com is a great first step. My book is Ally Parenting. You go to allyparenting.com. It'll take you to my website that will also talk to you about the private one-on-one -on -one coaching I do, the speaking. I've talked to over 600 schools. Um, I, I just, so I think that's the best place. And then I do have, I think my uh, Instagram is ally-parenting or ally-parenting also on Instagram. That's another place that I post information. And my, you know, my book is really um, there as a guide and will give you very, very specific information about what I've been talking about. And so you can find that on Amazon at, actually, I think it's a uh, bit.ly ally-parenting or just Cynthia Klein ally parenting. You can find me and it's an audible as well as soft cover. I'd love to share the wisdom that I have with everyone. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure that all of those links are available in the show notes to your website, to your social media and, and to the book. But thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've learned, I mean, I've got, I've got two young children and I've learned, I learned quite a few things tonight. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Wonderful. Glad I could help. Great. It's well, great that, to be here, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. This has been True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. If you're listening on iTunes, leave a little review. It takes a minute and it's very, very helpful. So thank you very much for that. But we will uh, see you next week. Thanks. <laughs>